Praise God. Here we are again, Brother Ian and myself. Brother Ian, come say hello quickly, Ian. Hello, everyone. Um, hope you're doing well. Uh, we would really appreciate your prayers for Brother Joe over here. Brother Joe has just been a bit sick um, the last uh, day or two, and he just really needs your prayers for your healing. So if you can pray for Brother Joe, um, that would be great. So uh, without further ado, I'll hand back to Joe and his teaching on marriage. Thank you, Ian. Amen. This morning, we'll continue on marriage part two. Uh, let's turn to the Word of God. Amen. It's always good that we remind ourselves of that which the Word says. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 once again. Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And this is speaking of Jesus Christ. In the weeks that lie ahead, I will prepare a sermon on this, and I will share it with you. Amen. Before I minister on marriage this morning, part two, I forgot to mention that I'm dedicating this series on marriage to the love of my life, and that being... Mrs. D, Dolores Dialindi, the girl that I love so much. Then also, I, I need to also mention that there are, are, are some ladies that have affected my life so positively, more so in regards to our marriage. And um, they've been a, 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 an inspiration to both me and my wife. And the names that come to mind are people that have made an indelible impression on my spirit concerning marriage. There is that dear sister in the Lord, Geraldine March, a mighty, mighty lady of God. And then my dear friend's wife, Brother Snooks, his wife, Ellen Frank. And of course, who can forget Sister Denise Bowers and Felicity Clarovitt. Can I ever forget Dawn Phillips? These women were are married and they, they, they stalwarts and great helpmates to, to their husbands. And uh, I don't only honor my wife this morning, although the series is dedicated to her, but I also want to say to these dear ladies that they've made an indelible, wonderful impression upon my marriage. And then there are also ladies that I work with that they are such an encouragement to me. And uh, 
I, I work with them at uh, at Bunnings, and um, they're just wonderful ladies. There's Pamela Smith, who's such a, an encouragement to me. Whenever we talk, we just talk the word. And there's Mandy and Jan. God bless these ladies that 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 are really supportive and encouraging concerning that which I do for the work of the Lord. May God richly bless them. Almost every Monday, our family gathers together here at my home. And my wife prepares a lovely supper and we just gather around the table and laugh and joke and eat together. And um, we were talking uh, last week and my eldest daughter Yolanda uh, says to, 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 to my wife, Mom, tell me, Mom, how did you stick it out all these years with Dad? Dad can be so heavy at times. How did you manage, Mom? And Mom just says, well, the grace of God <laughs> is sufficient at all times. And then I, I interrupted and said, no, no, no. Hey, hey, I want you to know that I'm the star of this family. I'm the star of this marriage. I, I, I am the bright star of this marriage. And then my wife looked at my daughter and said, that's true, darling. Your father is the star of this marriage. He is the star of this family. The disaster. <laughs> oh boy. No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. No, but truly, um, my, my, my daughter Yolanda, no, it was Michelle that asked them. She asked them, but, but honestly, mom, how did you manage? Because dad can be very heavy, mom. You know he has his mood swings, being a diabetic and whatnot. How do you manage? And this is what my lovely wife said, defending me, you know, speaking on my behalf. She says, well, you've got to marry the man of your dreams. But leave him with the nightmares. <laughs> oh, bless the Lord of my soul. Come on, Ian. What is, what is medicine for the soul? What is medicine for the soul? Laughter. Laughter is medicine for the soul. Amen. We're going to continue with our topic on marriage this morning. And um, I trust that the Lord will speak through me. We're not going to be too long this morning. Uh, Ian had said to you that I'm not too well. And then Ian also has some commitments that he has to uh, see to rather urgently, but we just trust that whatever we convey to you, that the Lord will bless you this morning. Amen. Now, first and foremost, concerning marriage, it is essential that we understand that marriage is a contract between two parties. It's a marriage between a man and a woman. And the purpose of the marriage, the miracle thereof, is that two become one. Adam had said when he saw Eve, this is human, because she has come out of me. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What he was simply saying, she is one with me. And it's God's intention in marriage that though there are two different genders, two different personalities, that through the spiritual 
working of God, the miraculous work of God, that two distinct people of diverse culture, perhaps, or perhaps diverse ethnicities, two different personalities might become one. Bear in mind, I said last week, that one of the greatest privileges and honor, honors, honor that God has given to man was that man is a lesser image of what is in heaven. And what we have in heaven is the triune Godhead, three persons in one God. And what we have upon the face of the earth, two persons, amen, and one in marriage. Now, what we have to realize is that marriage is a legal contract. And for any contract to be legal, uh, the clauses that condition that spell out the contract, they have to be cited verbally or in most cases even written down and signed accordingly as such unto now, the common clauses that we hear in marriage is for richer or poorer, uh, in sickness and health, till death do us part. Those are the common clauses. And oh, oh, doubt, no doubt the other one, that the man keeps himself but for his wife, and the wife keeps herself but for her husband. Ian wants to say something. You missed out one. What's for, that? for better or for worse. And that's right also for better and for worse. These are the clauses that condition the, the, the contractual covenant agreement between a man and a woman. And for this contract to be valid, uh, witnesses also have to sign as such. And what you have to realize, what makes the, 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 the contract legal is not only the voicing of the vows, the clauses, and the signing of the husband and wife and the witnesses, but what also makes it legal is that the government honors that. The government of the land honors it and sees it as a legal contract, as a marriage between two parties as such. So marriage is a legal contract. I'd like to read out to you what the dictionary has to say about marriage. Marriage is the state or relationship of being husband and wife. The legal union or contract made by a man and a woman to live as husband and wife. As modifier marriage license, marriage certificate, the religious or legal ceremony formalizing this union, wedding, a close or intimate union, relationship. Amen? So that is what the Collins Dictionary have to say, has to say about marriage. Now, you've got to realize this, that as never before, there is an alarming increase in divorce amongst Christians these days. And as the church, we cannot just stand by and watch this happen. We have to do something and do it immediately. For this simple reason, Satan knows the role that marriage 
has to play in the church. One man of God said this, As the Christian family goes, so goes the church. The family marriages are the cornerstone of society. And if marriages break down and feeble and are weak, can you imagine society? It is the cornerstone of society. And because divorce is running rampant in the church, as the leadership of the church, we've got to make a concerted, concentrated effort to stop what the devil is doing amongst God's people. And I feel that what we need to do is re-educate the church concerning marriage, the role and the importance of marriage. And where we should start, where I believe we should start, with that are marriage officers or celebrants, etc., etc. We must not in any way allow a marriage to take place unless pre-marital counseling has been given to the couple intending to be married. Let me say that again. The first step that we must make to try and curb divorce that is rampant now in Christian circles is to tell those who intend to be married that we will not marry them unless they agree to come to pre-marital counseling sessions. And if I remember back in the Catholic Church when the bands were announced after every service on the Sunday morning, if I remember correctly, this ran for three consecutive weeks. They came to pre-marital counseling. Now, I would say this, that though the purpose of marriage um, is for a man and a woman to be united in holy wedlock, I, I don't feel that it's just that the man and the woman must be counseled. I feel that the parents of both parties should come in on the counseling session. I believe that the witnesses that would sign to the contract as such, they should also be in on the counseling session. And the question is why? Well, many people do not fully understand the Christian ethic for marriage, the Christian principles of marriage. And you find if people are unaware of the Christian ethics and principles for marriage and our marriage, whenever they are called upon to give counsel and they don't know the Christian principles, then surely they are going to give wrong advice. And you know, one has to be, to be very, very aware of what is said at the marriage ceremony. Uh, 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 ceremony. <laughs> you know, my, my Cape Townian accent comes out sometimes and my force gets in the way. But let, let me say this. Uh, th th there is a warning that the minister uh, 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 voices. He says, what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. I want to say it again. He makes a charge and he says this, what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. And all that we think of is this is that there's a third party coming in having an affair with either the husband and the wife and this is uh, the charge yes that is part of it 
But do you know the charge can also be that if you give wrong counsel, if your advice is not biblical and sound, if your aim and goal is not to bring the strange two together, then you are guilty of dividing that couple. So your counsel has to be based upon God's word. You must know the premise and the principles of marriage. And that's why it is essential that the parents of both parties and even the witnesses come in on the counseling, that they can know what a Christian marriage is all about. Do you agree with that, Ian? Yeah, I just have one question for you. Yeah, yes, good. What if, for example, like um, one of the parties has like moved to another city, um, like the husband or something, or the wife, and finds their partner in another city, and the parents, because they live like say like six or seven hours away, they can't come always come to the premarital counselling. What I would suggest then uh, is that we video it, video the premarital counselling, and 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 uh, post it to them or if, if the minister has notes on it, and, and just send it to them. Then, then, then they're aware of, of, of what are the, the spiritual truths, Christian truths for, for, for marriage. I feel it's very important, because what you must realize is this, Ian, that they're going to have input in that marriage. And if their input is contrary to the Word of God, then they won't be bringing the parties together. They will be separating the parties. So they must know what we believe as Christians concerning marriage. Amen. Amen. So once again, uh, it's very important that we have premarital counseling. And I, I would say at least three good sessions of about an hour and a half each. And, 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 and perhaps it might, might even be, be longer than that, depending on how they grasp the teaching. Now, what I want to speak on this morning is very briefly the witnesses. The role of the witness. This is vital. And I feel because the witnesses don't fully understand their role, that many marriages break up. Because... No doubt it is a blessing to be chosen as a witness for a marriage. You've been honored, you've been recognized as such by the husband and the wife. And usually the husband chooses a witness and usually the wife chooses a witness. And as such, you know, they choose their friends, those who are close to them, those who are part of their, their inner circle in most cases. Now, let me say this. Let me say this, and, and one has to be realistic about this. You know, it's good to have friends. It's good to have friends. And it's good to give honor where honor is due. But we've got to realize when it comes to marriage, unless the friend who becomes a witness understands the principles and the role that he has or she has to play as a witness, then there'll be no benefit whatsoever to that marriage. The witness plays a vital role in the ongoing of a marriage. Now, I want to read to you what I taught last week on the word witness. And, and, and it's surprising that I, I taught this in, in the, the teaching of the baptism into the spirit. But let's now look at it the witness, the role of the witness in relationship to a marriage ceremony. Now, the word witness can mean 
one who observes, one who is a spectator, one who is an onlooker, and the word I like best for witness is an eyewitness. It's someone that is an actual eyewitness, someone that heard what was said, someone that saw what was taking place. If you do a further word study, the word witness means attestation of fact, event, etc. from personal knowledge. It also means one who testifies. The word attestation is so dynamic. To me, it means to confirm. Now, with all that in mind, the witness at the marriage ceremony, he hears the clauses, the vows being verbally reiterated by both man and by both women. Amen. He hears what they promise to each other, the vows that they so joyously recite as such. Then also, he sees the ring being placed upon each other's fingers. He sees them signing the contract as such. And then he and she perhaps as witnesses, they also signed the wedding contract. So they are not only hearers or eyewitnesses as such, they're also participators in that wedding. In other words, they confirm that wedding. They confirm it. They make it reality by giving their name to the document. They are witnesses. Now, that is an honor, like I said earlier on. And in most cases, like I said, the bridegroom and the bride will choose probably their best friend. Now, I believe in friendship. Where I'm concerned, I hold friendship very dear to my heart. I believe in friendship. And maybe I should just give you an acronym for friends that you might know uh, what, what, I, uh, what I see in friendship. How, how dear I hold it to my heart. F-R-I-E-N-D. Friends rejoice in each other's never-ending dream. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, no doubt, friends are people like you and I. And friends, no matter who they are, in most cases, will always choose sides. I want to say it again, Ian. Whenever there's a dispute, whenever there is an indifference, in most cases, friends will always choose a side. And the purpose why we have the witnesses in the premarital counseling is for them to understand the miracle of a marriage. We that are witnesses to a marriage must begin to realize that marriage is a miracle. And the work of the minister in counseling, the husband and the wife-to-be, the parents of both parties and even the witnesses, is to convince them 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that the miracle of marriage is that two are one. Two are one. Two are one. Just as there are three in heaven, yet one, so there are two on earth, yet one. And the friend, whether it's of the bridegroom or whether of the bride, who is a witness, must realize because marriage is a miracle and the purpose of marriage is to make two distinct genders one. They cannot see their friend as the friend anymore. They see two parties as one and the purpose of them coming in on dissolving any dispute is to see that that oneness is maintained. Glory to God. That's their responsibility. As a witness, you cannot choose a side. You have to take the side of that miracle which God intends for marriage, and that is oneness. And you can never ever divide oneness. Now, it is important that the witness throughout the marriage relates to the couple. It's just not signing a document, going to the festivities, having a good time, enjoying themselves, and then going home and gone and forgotten. No, you have a responsibility. You are a witness. It's up to you to see by the grace of God that the man and the woman, they live up to the promises that they made to each other. And if you hear that there's division among them, that there's an impending separation, you as a witness, you as a friend, it's your responsibility to go up to them and remind them of what they promised to each other. And you must make every concerted, concentrated effort to bring them together because you had put your name to paper as a witness that you believe that God is making two people one. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. What a responsibility. What a responsibility. The aim and the purpose is that you play a vital role in this marriage, my friend. You are a witness. You heard what he promised. He will be with her in sickness and in health. And when you hear that she is sick, or you hear that he is sick, and things go awry, and they go a different way, it's your duty to go to them and say, my brother, my sister, what did you promise? What did you say in the presence of God and in the presence of the congregation? You said you will be with her, you will be with him through sickness. Amen. That's your duty. That's your purpose as a witness. If you hear any strange thing taking place, then you must grow. You must make every effort to see that they stay one. Now, now other than that, don't just be a witness to, <laughs> to, the, to, 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 to the negativity. Visit them. 
Go there, encourage them, inquire how they're doing. Speak words of encouragement, commend them when, 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 they, when they're moving in the word of God as one. Hallelujah. So the role of, of, of the witness, it is vital. It is so, so vital. You know, um, I, I, I want to say this, and um, you know, if you're not there and you speak as if you were there, then you're committing perjury. You know, but you were there, my brother. You were there, my sister. And I, I, I say this as a witness. If we stand back and do nothing while a marriage falls apart, then the blood of that marriage is upon our hands. It's upon our hands. That's why I feel it's always good, my brother and my sister, to live up to your responsibility. So the witness has to be... Be, be, be there at the pre-marital counseling session as well. You just cannot uh, in any way be there and sign in. Bye-bye, see you next time, see you in 10 years' time. It's a responsibility that he has to live up to. Now, let's talk about the parental relationships. The parental relationship. Um, I, I, I have a saying, and you need not agree with me, but I, I always said that, and my wife and I talk about it. You know what you husbands and wife talk about when you get to my age? Tell me, you know, the, our, the wife will ask me, and I will ask her, tell me, Joe, tell me, Dolores, if, if I pass on, will you get married again? And you know what most men say? No, 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 I'll never get married again. And, 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 and I'll ask the wife, what if something happens to me? Will you ever get married again? Oh, and of course she says, no, I think I must be mad. One man is enough in my life. I had enough of you. I can't take another man and more trouble. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. She better not see this video. She'll kill me. Oh, boy. Too late. Too late. But, but, but we talk these things, don't we? And I always said to my wife, you know what you must understand? A, a, a man, I believe, has a love of his life. And I, I, I'm not saying that with all men, but um, you're the love of my life. And, uh, and, I, and I, said, I always say to my wife, you know, if you're gone, you pass on, and after a year or two, my natural uh, tendencies rise up again. And you, you, you know what I'm talking about? I said to her, there's one thing that will keep me away from marrying. What's that, Joe? Because your natural tendencies are rising up. What, what will keep you away from, from, from marrying again? Well, this, my darling, when a man marries, he marries into a family as well. When a woman marries, they marry into a family as well. And that's very true. That's very true. And I dare say that if anything does happen to my wife, I wouldn't want to get married again for the simple reason I would have taken a new family. And the two families that I know are now a part of me. It'd be so difficult. But let's get on with our study. The role of the parents, both sets of parents. Their role is vital. And they got to realize this one thing again.
they got to realize it. It's not just their daughter anymore. It's not just their son anymore. But the daughter is now the daughter-in-law. The husband is now the son-in-law. They become part of the family. Yes, the daughter foregoes her maiden surname and she takes on the name of her husband. But she's still your daughter. And she is now daughter as an in-law as well. But here is the key. Here is the key. And it's very, very, very important. Very, very, very important. That daughter, that son, have now started their own home. While that daughter, while that son was under your roof as a parent, they were under your domain, under your authority as such. You made the rules. You laid down the principles as such. You commanded and demanded because you were the head of that home. You were the priest of that home. But now that your son, now that your daughter has married and two have become one, remember this one thing. The position that you had is no more the same. You no more command and demand. Your role changes. You don't tell them what to do. You advise them. And by the way, you only advise them when they ask for advisement. I find that many parents interfere too often in the marriage of their daughters or their sons. When you go into their home, you no more moving from the authority of your home. You're moving into a new authority. You're moving into that home. And you've got to respect the man who now is the head and the priest of that home. You never, never interfere. And you never, ever take sides, whether it's your daughter or whether it's your son. You must remember the words, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. And it's not just an adulterous act, it's also bad counsel that can divide and separate a man and a woman. And if counsel is bad, then we are liable for what we have done and what we have said. I think it's very important that parents begin to realize that their role has changed. They no more there demanding and commanding and telling the children what to do. They're now in a new environment and their role changes to that of an advisor. Amen. Now, one thing also that's very important, other than not interfering, it is essential that once again, that the parents realize that they must, must, must not just see their daughter. Their parents must realize they must, must not just see their son. They have to see it once again the way God intended us to see it. You know, sometimes the miracles before our eyes and we ignore the miracle. You know, I, 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 I look to, to, to so, so many people and, and I, 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 I sometimes speak my mind without any thought. And I tell people, man, 
you your husband and wife I can see it because you're looking like brother and sister and I'll never forget forget pastor Andy Lamb and his dear wife those those two they looked like brother and sister they really were one in mannerisms in voice in thought in everything and, and, and sometimes you know people will visit you and the husband or wife is not with them because one of them there, it's like having two there because they, they pick up the mannerisms, the speech, uh, uh, the expressions of each other. And, and it's important as a father, as a mother, as, a, as an in-law, that you see not your daughter anymore, not your son anymore, but you see two of them as one. And your counsel that you offer, your advice that you offer, is never ever to divide them. It's, you never take sides. You never take sides. Your purpose is to see that they are always together. Now, one more thing before I close this morning. You know, some parents and some father-in-laws and some mother-in-laws had good intentions towards their son-in-law and their mother-in-law, or daughter-in-law rather. But you know what? Sometimes... It's their very son or very daughter that causes chaos, chaos and confusion and problems between son-in-law, father-in-law, mother and mother-in-law. In other words, we tie our own noose. And you find that the foolishness of some men and women, what they do, they go to their parents as a husband and they defame their wife they complain about their wife that she's failing in this area and that area and 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 and, and, and they, they paint a, a bad picture of her or, 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 or otherwise the daughter goes to her parents and she paints a bad picture of her husband speaking about his faults and failures you know, there's two words that I'll never forget, but some of the other, I always confuse the two. Always confuse the two. And I was a little boy when I was taught these words. And I told you that I grew up as a Catholic boy. And I'll never forget some of the good teaching that I was taught in my Catholic faith as a young man. And the two words were calumny and detraction. Now, I don't know which is which, but I never had time to go to the dictionary. But... Whether it's calumny or detraction, what it is is this. You go with information of a certain person to another person and you relay all of what they've done and what they said. And more so when it's not good, the person that you are conveying it unto prejudges that person. They make up their mind about, their, about that person who they're hearing about, all the ne negativity, and when the person comes into their presence, that person is not well received. And, and, and uh, detraction might be this. Uh, um, when people go to persons to gossip and to fabricate and tell lies about people and badden the person's name, then the same thing happens. When that person comes into, into the company of the listener, then they prejudge that person. They made up their mind. They closed their heart. And they blocked that person off. It's always sad when um, people go to um, 
their friends who know the other person and they badmouth them and they automatically believe what they say yes. and so they judge the other person. They prejudge the person. Now, that can be either calumny or detraction. And the worst thing that you can do, my, when the daughter goes to her parents and speaks of her husband, or when the husband, the son, goes to his parents and speaks of his wife, do you know what you do? You make a rearrangement. You make the in-laws become outlaws because you have baddened the name of your spouse. And when your spouse comes into the, pair, uh, the presence of the in-laws, they will not accept her or him. So please, please, don't ever badmouth your husband or your wife to your parents. And parents, never ever choose sides. And if you're called upon to give counsel, please let me say this, and, 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 and I feel it's important. Don't take counsel out of experience. Don't take counsel out of experience. I, as a man of God, never ever preach my experience. I believe faith cometh by the hearing of God's word. Some men of God say, but you can give illustrations from your life. No, I find illustrations from the word. The word and the experiences of men and women of God in the word are always best to give. Let me say this. Let me say this. Let your counsel not be based upon your life, on the life of others. Let your counsel be based upon the word of God. It's the word of God which is quick and powerful. It's the word of God that builds people up. So please, as parents, give good counsel. Give the word. Amen. I'm going to close here today. We just covered two major points in premarital counseling. We will continue next week. Amen. So I trust that this has been a blessing to you. It's not deep stuff. It's fundamental. It's basic. But it's very, very important. God bless you. God keep you. We're going to bless you now. Please stand. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, let your sweet spirit come upon this husband and this wife. Let the sweet spirit of God come upon this family, causing them forevermore to be one. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. The Lord see you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Amen.